Happy Thursday, everyone. This is Abel. We're here with uh, Mindy and Natalie, and this is our 2021 podcast. Um, say hello. Hey, everybody. It's Mindy. Hey, it's Natalie. We have Jeff Peterson here with Trans World Business Advisors. Thank you for coming. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and what you do? Uh, myself, I was born and raised in Colorado. I ended up in Texas on accident about 20 years ago. And 13 years ago, left and lived in Phoenix for a while and always wanted to get back. And uh, while I was in Phoenix, I ran a wireless services company. And when it came time to sell that company, it was a very difficult process. I didn't know what to do or who to reach out to. I worked with several different people and ended up working with somebody from Transworld Business Advisors and they successfully sold the company and it went great. And I got to move back to East Texas, which I always wanted to do. And, um, when I got back here, I realized that you can't ever retire. So I don't know if anybody's ever planning on retiring, but you can't do it. Um, I've had one panic attack in my entire life and it was at 1 a.m. I realized that even though I had a ton of stuff to do and a lot on my plate with all this property that we owned, that I had to go back to work. So I got involved with Transworld Business Advisors. And that was about two and a half years ago. And, um, it's been uh, it's been fun. It's been rewarding. It gets me out of the community. It allows me to help out entrepreneurs, uh, existing business owners, stuff like that. Meet a lot of people. So. It's a great fit for me personally. That's uh, that's my short story. Awesome, awesome. So we we're just going to ask you a couple of questions about your business, and just so everybody listening can get to know you and what you do a little bit better. Um, the first question I do want to ask you is: What is one thing that you wish you would have known prior to starting your business or your career with Transworld? Um. I wish I would have known that there was going to be a global pandemic in 2020. <laughs> I think we all would probably <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You know, on the one hand, it hasn't been great for business, but the part that I dislike about it the most is there's a lot of small businesses that are really suffering, and some of them reach out to me, and they, they want me to try to help, and I, I can't sell a business. I can't market. I, I can market anything, but you just can't sell a business that isn't doing well. No one's going to pony up their savings to buy a business that's going into the ground and so many people right now just have no control over what's going on with their business through state closures and just the economy's in a bad spot so um, having to deliver that bad news and have those frank conversations with people it's, it's painful and it's, uh, it's easily the worst part of what I do right now. What are some of the uh, industries that you see that are um, struggling really really hard right now? Um, well, it's all bouncing back a little bit, but clearly restaurants yeah. are a really bad spot. Um, for a while there, the SBA wouldn't even take applications for restaurants or daycares. So, but daycares starting to come back. Uh, but, but those are the two that were hurt the most. But um, really, any mom and pop Main Street business, they're all really very susceptible. Now, some. There are some businesses, specifically in the, uh, the hardware sector, that have done very well and thrived through this. But um, I, I would say the majority, it's, it's, been a, it's been a painful time. So. Yeah. A lot of them had to quickly adjust to like curbside delivery and, and so on and so forth. So I'm assuming that a lot of uh, um, plans 
that they had just kind of uh, um, fast forward quickly during the uh, pandemic. And that's probably a couple of things with the restaurants, um, how they suffered and they had to adjust quickly. Well, yeah, and, and I don't want to mention my name, but there's one restaurant in town in particular where um, they kept all their staff on. They basically redesigned the whole inside of the restaurant. They reset it up where they were selling not only to-go items off the menu, but they were acting also as a butcher and selling steaks. And they set up a whole process out in front of the store, you know, pulling a slot two or bring your stuff. And it was all hands on deck. And, you know, a, a lot of them through this, they had to compete with enhanced unemployment. So if you took enhanced unemployment, you could arguably for a while there make more money than you made at your job. So it was enticing for people to take that. Uh, some people are mad that their neighbors took that, but you know, people are hurting. It's a way to make more money, get ahead. But at this one particular restaurant, the people who stayed there, they were blessed with work as it were. They had uh, the ability to stick around and help be part of the solution. And they may have left some money on the table initially. I think long-term, you know, they had their job even after the enhanced unemployment was gone. But um, anyhow, there's, there's all that to say, there's a lot of businesses that really grabbed the bootstraps and did what they had to do and put a lot of capital out there to work and just really had to get creative. And a lot of cases, it was really impressive. Um, has there been people on the other end of that spectrum that have actually felt like now might be a good time to buy a business because of the pandemic? Have you had anybody feeling that way or like, tell me your experience with that on the other hand of people actually wanting to reach out to you and, and be on the other end of that. Right. So we're in East Texas, we're in the oil patch out here. And one of the side effects of this whole pandemic is a, is a glut of oil and natural gas on the market. So prices are heavily depressed. And as you guys know, this economy is impacted significantly by oil and gas. So I have gotten a lot of calls from people in the oil and gas industry who are about to get laid off, afraid they're gonna get laid off, just got laid off and they really, they need to buy a job. And um, I have listings right now that are quality listings and good businesses to buy that are basically COVID resistant. I have businesses that honestly, I wouldn't recommend people buy. They're, they're listed in kind of a, a desperation mode, but I do have people calling me looking to buy a job. And we have ways to help them. You know, they don't have to have all the money on hand. They can work with an SBA lender. There's, there's a lot of different financing options, but yes, there's been an uptick on both sides. When you say buying a job, just so, so that way the listeners understand what you mean by that, can you kind of explain? So, yeah, when you're uh, buying a business, it's much the same way. You'll go in and you'll say, here's where I want to be, here's the industries I want to be in, here's how much money I have to spend. And one of the other things on there is owner's benefit. So most of the jobs that you're buying, most of the businesses that you're buying, there's an owner's benefit at the end of the day. And what that is, that's how much money from... The, uh, the operation of the business is actually ending up in the owner's pocket. So somebody's got a lifestyle based on a certain amount of income that they have, they need to replace that income. And they can do that by essentially buying a job. Let's say they need an owner's benefit somewhere between 90000 and $150,000 a year. There are businesses that give off that much cash to the owner. And um, anyhow, they can go in, they can buy the business, there's all kinds of financing, there's seller financing, there's SBA, but we try to figure out a way where they can maintain 
that quality of life, get into a business that's a quality business and is a good fit for them personally. But that's that's wow. the short story on finding a job. There's actually uh, um, financing for somebody who's trying to buy a business? Oh, yeah. Well, the SBA is outstanding. And, and, and the way the SBA works, you don't actually borrow the money from the SBA. You borrow the money from a bank, and the SBA guarantees 80% of that to the bank. So it's a great program. Uh, there's, there's skin in the game from the buyer. There's a lot less risk for the bank. Um, and if you meet all the SBA requirements, then they typically are, are good loans. They're, they're not long-term. They're not onerous. They're, it's, it's a good way to get into a business for the, the average American. Given the fact of where we are right now um, in the economy that we're in um, with the SBA, have they been able to like um, make the adjustment and make it very quickly for um, entrepreneurs to be able to you know, apply for these loans and get these loans pretty quickly? Because I've always heard that the SBA takes like, you know, several months, takes sometimes even up to years before you can get approved. That, that has not been my experience. Um, maybe if you've got a bad application or the buyer has credit issues or they don't have the money down, I mean, there, there are certain baseline requirements that the SBA needs, but if you check all the boxes, it's a pretty quick process. I've gotten to closing in 45 days or less several times on SBA loans. Um, Jeff, the next question that we have for you is, could you tell us about a time when you experienced something that was a difficult failure for you, but you learned a valuable lesson from that? Um, I may be going through one right now. So <laughs> I've got a, uh, and it's the smallest deals that require the most work. But that I, sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, so I, I've got a business now that is, for sale, I've got a buyer, there's a contract in place, but due to the seller taking PPP loan and also an EIDL loan, the seller would have to come to the closing table with nearly $20,000 to get out of their own business. So the reason for that is right now, I mean, the, the PPP loan and the EIDL loan both have to be satisfied at closing. We don't ever sell a business that has debt attached to it knowingly. So we go through a lot of effort to make sure the buyer doesn't buy a business that has debt. Well, the seller is, they have to get out of town quickly. There's health issues in the family. They need to get to California. And yeah, this EIDL loan, it's, uh, the, the PPP loans are pretty easy to get out from under. Um, the seller should be able to get forgiveness for that in the next two to three weeks, but the EIDL loan is much bigger. Uh, it's got a lot more strings attached. There's a lien attached to the business. So anyhow, that's difficult. And working through that process, uh, we're, it's constant brainstorming and there's been some, some crying going on, not on my part, but you know, it's, it's <laughs> tough. That's one of the things I talk about. It's tough times for people. And, um, you know, they got that EIDL loan and the PPP loan, and it was a lifeline at the time, but there's some significant strings attached to those EIDL loans that I don't think a lot of borrowers understand when they take out the loan. Can you name a few? Well, yeah, two weeks after the loan was in place, the, the lien showed up. So, um, you know, one of the things we're trying to do possibly is get the loan assigned from the seller to the buyer and have that offset some of the buyer's 
purchase price for the business. But small businesses keep books in very different ways. Some have accounts reports every month and there's P&L generated through QuickBooks and they have outstanding books and records. Some of them, when I ask for their books and records, I get two years worth of bank statements and a handwritten cash ledger. Yeah. This business is from the latter category, so there's almost no way to satisfy the SBA's requirements to get this loan transferred. Um, th this loan's going to have to be dealt with one way or another. So now their options are to come to closing with $20,000 to sell their business. Now, th they will get some of that money back down the road because there's a small seller financing component to this one. Or their other option is to walk away from the EIDL loan, walk away from their lease and take the hits to their credit. And that could be devastating. So that's where I mentioned there were some tears. I mean, these people are in a really tough spot. And so anyhow, all I'd say we're, we're doing what we can. We're, we're trying to get creative and, uh, you know, reduce commissions and reduce fees. And I, I think we'll sort this out, but I think I can, I can, uh, um, you know, understand from a small business, trying to work your own books and um, understand your own um, accounting um, and trying to set that up is a challenge um, at the very beginning. Ultimately, um, you know, obviously for, for us, we've been, we've been fortunate to actually use um, online software like QuickBooks, um, but at the same time, I understand that I'm not a CPA, so I have no clue how that works, but I do understand keeping records, keeping all the information, um, intact is super important, especially when you're going to try to see where your business stands. Because that's one of the hardest things that a lot of small businesses, they don't understand is that it worth the investment to just pay somebody who's, that's what they do to manage your books and to be able to handle it. And a lot of times they just don't want to spend the money. They think they can handle it. And then next thing you know, four months go down the line, they haven't reconciled anything and they're completely negative. They have no idea where they are. Um, as a business owner, and it's super scary. And, and sometimes it's just, it, it's ignorance. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but some of these people have started this business with a single head embroidery machine in their living room. And it's grown into, you know, doing shirts for the Glee Club and for, you know, the school and friends and neighbors want stuff for Christmas. And they turn this into a business. Well, they don't have any training they don't understand generally accepted accounting principles they've come into this problem honestly they're also dealing with cash you guys don't deal with much cash i would assume but a lot of main street businesses cash comes across and um it's tempting to not put that cash on the books and so there, there's a lot of stuff that can add into this but you're right i mean just in terms of somebody selling their business and if i could give anybody one word of advice one bit of advice it would be keep good books and records. And if you think you're gonna sell the business in the next two to three years, count all the cash. I understand that if the cash doesn't hit the books, you don't pay taxes on it, but you also won't get any credit for that when it comes time to value your business. So uh, it's a double-edged sword. So anybody out there listening who's thinking about doing this, get your books and records in shape and count all the revenue. It's the best thing you can do. You're right, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely the same advice that I was given. And, terms of running you know my business is you know you always think people tell you to do the opposite but 
really it's like you should do because it puts the value back into the business. So that kind of sounds like that's more of like a pain point involved in, in what you do is getting people to, you know, keep track of, of, you know, their money and their records. But what is, what would you say the, the thing is that you're most passionate about doing what you do? Uh, I, I would say it's, it's helping people. I mean, I was semi-retired when I started doing this and um, just getting out into the community uh, is important to me. I uh, recently, a couple years ago, started uh, officiating high school football, mostly because I heard that there was a need and that seemed like a way to help the community. I didn't want games to not be on Fridays and that was going to be a possibility if they didn't have enough officiating crews. and. Um, I'll tell you, it is a low-pay job with heavy verbal abuse. It is so thankless. Um, it's a lot of fun. But anyhow, the same part of me that wanted to do that to help out, I, I like meeting with business owners. And um, yeah, I take meetings all the time that I know nothing's going to come from financially. But if I can help somebody get ahead, then that's very rewarding. So that's easily my favorite part of the of the whole thing is, is helping people out, educating them, getting them to where they want to go. When we have a success story, it's it's really great for for the sellers, the buyers. I mean, our our motto at Transworld is good deals for good people. And in a community like this, basically a small town, um, Longview might seem like a big town, but there's only 12 people in Longview. So everybody knows each <laughs> other. And I'm going to run into the buyers at Brookshire's and at football games, and I'm going to run into the sellers at the mall and wherever else. So I've got to do my best to keep everybody on an equal footing. I want everybody to have a good experience at the end of the day. You said something about verbal abuse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us a little story about some one of them? Oh, um, basically every football game I've been a part of on the <laughs> sidelines. So I... Uh, I was a linesman in my first year and a headlinesman in my second year, and that means you're on the sidelines. So head coaches are extremely fiery individuals <laughs> with usually sailors' mouths, and they're you know, yeah, it's a highly emotional state. <laughs> so the players, ironically, always respectful. With very few exceptions, all I get out of the players ever is just a yes sir, no sir. They're the best. The coaches, not so much. Most of the coaches at the end of the game, they'll seek you out and at least give you a fist bump or something like that. Sometimes give you a good job. Some of them are just incorrigible. I'm obviously not going to name any names or schools, but it's you, you, you better have thick skin if you're yeah. going to be on the wings out there doing high school football because you're going to hear all of it. And it's not always warranted. A lot of times they're, they're just trying to get in your head. They're, they're questioning you on rules that they, they know. They know the rules. I know they know the rules, but they're just, they're always out there. It's called working the ref. And <laughs> it's something that they, they practice, they work at. It's a, it's a real thing, but. Yeah, as a, as a small business and entrepreneur, you do have to have thick skin as well to be able to uh, um, obviously navigate through so much, um, you know, shit that you go through um, from uh, not just from, you know, customers, but, you know, staff too. 
I was literally just about to say he is highlighting this specifically to attack me right now. I love how he says staff to and then looks over his shoulder. I, I was literally about to interrupt him and go, what he's really saying is that he experienced verbal abuse from me and he has to have thick skin to deal with me and I knew it, but then you looked at me and it made it even more obvious. Well, a lot of business owners I deal with, one of my favorite terms is they say, if it wasn't for employees or customers, this job would be great. <laughs> It'd be great. So there it is. No, well, with, uh, um, I wouldn't be where I am right now if it hadn't been for um, staff. Um, super, super important to me. Um, I really do care about my staff. Um, so it's, yes, um, we've had um, some turnover um, throughout the years. And we've been in business for a little over, going on four years now. So um, the turnover that we've had, um, it's just, it, it's, it's been difficult for some of the uh, staff that, we, that have left. Um, but the staff that we currently have right now are great people. Um, and uh, it's, like I said, we would not be where we are had it not been for staff. And it, again, it also comes back to our clients that we have too. So it's, I think it's just, it's kind of a, um, uh, back and forth with with both um, you know so as a uh, small business owner I really do appreciate the, uh, the staff that we do have so yeah there's nothing like great employees right? yeah yeah definitely you can't it's it's hard to replace them that's that's one of the things so yeah and, and, and I know you're busting chops a minute ago but yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, I can tell there's love in that so um, so tell us let's debunk a myth Tell us one common myth uh, in your field of profession that isn't true, but people might assume, or that you get often, and you have to maybe correct people. Um, one common myth is that if you are a seller and you want to sell or finance your business, that um, you're going to get left holding the bag and no money, and you're going to have to foreclose on a business that's been run into the ground. Um, that is certainly a possibility. And when I'm having listing appointments with sellers and I bring up the seller financing option, their default position is always like, no, I don't want to do that. I want all my money up front. And I understand that. But if you're selling whatever, you're selling a hair salon, the, the more you can do to make it attractive to a buyer or easy for a buyer to get, the better. Um, seller financing 95% of the seller financing agreements that we enter into get paid off as promised or earlier, and they end up doing very well. Um, here's what's gonna happen is, if, if a buyer buys a business and things aren't going well and they need out of that business, um, what we always do in a seller financing situation is, even if they're seller financing, we don't finance all of it. We get as much money as we can up front so the buyer's got some skin in the game. So we want, at least 50% of the money as a down payment. So now the new owner, if it's not going well, they have to get out for whatever reason, they've got a lot of money tied up in this business. What they're typically gonna do is they're gonna reach out to me and they're gonna say, hey Jeff, I need to sell this business, I need you to help me. And then when we get to the closing table at their closing, the original seller is in the first position. So they're gonna be the first person paid off. So, so the biggest myth is that if you do seller financing, Someone's going to buy your business, they're going to run it into the ground in 90 days, and you're going to have nothing left. Um, that is certainly a possibility. It is a far outlier from what actually happens. Hmm. Interesting.
Well, very cool. Um, that's really good to know. You sound super knowledgeable. So with that, where can our listeners connect with you online? Um, anybody can reach out at transworld.com. Um, I have a local page that... We'll add it in the comments. Thank you. Yeah, we'll <laughs> add in the comments. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't expect you to do HTTP. Yeah. Are you on any social media accounts? Yeah, I'm on, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, of course, I, you know, Facebook, and those are the primary drivers for my social media. Um, you know, I go through spurts of being really active and then not as active, but that's the way it is. Uh, there's, there's also just some general resources. Uh, if anybody's looking to buy a business, far and ahead, the best resource is, is bizbuyself.com. You can go on there. I have listings on there. There's listings across the industry. There, it's the best place to go if you're looking to buy a job or anything you're after. It's got a very searchable database, and um, and yeah, you can not only find my inventory on there, but um, inventory all across the country. So. That's wonderful. Awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. What about a uh, um, a business owner that's looking to um, sell their business and. Uh, is there like some kind of like, is it private that they're not, their employees are not going to know? Because, I mean, obviously if you're trying to, and I'm not trying to sell a business guy. I know so. you're not. <laughs> I know you're I'm not. I'm just asking a question. You're so. asking that because it is a valid question it because I know one thing that, that Jeff stands on it with his business is keeping it private. And so people know that it's confidential and that it's safe. So, um, talk a little bit more about that. If there's anybody who's interested, but they might be hesitant because of that fear. Right. So generally speaking, confidentiality is super important. Uh, you don't want your employees or your customers to know the business is for sale. Um, employees may get nervous and seek out another job ahead of time. Um, because typically all the employees are kept on when a business changes hands. They're very important. They're important to the new buyer, um, customers, get concerned when they think the business is going to sell, they think it's going to change dramatically. When we list businesses for sale on the internet, it never says Diane's hair salon. It says um, upscale hair salon for sale in East Texas. It gives some metrics on the business. Here's top line revenue, here's expenses, here's SDE, which is seller's discretionary earnings or owner's benefit that we talked about earlier. And if that piques somebody's interest, then they reach out to me. Before anybody gets any more information, they have to be under a non-disclosure agreement. So they sign a non-disclosure agreement. At that point, they still don't get the whole full tilt on the business, but they get a little closer look at the books, usually tell them the name of the business. They're constantly being reminded that they're under a non-disclosure agreement and this is confidential information. And it's just a process that we go down. I learn more about the buyer, the buyer learns more about the business, we'll ultimately get into a, uh, a time for the buyer to go see the business, that is usually done. Now some businesses, it's, it's, it's common knowledge that the business is for sale, so we'll go look at the business anytime, but usually it's on, it's on the evening or a, a weekend, we'll go in on a Saturday and they'll look around, they get to meet the seller and ask questions and, and yeah, if that goes well then there's an offer, but yes, confidentiality is super important put a lot of effort into maintaining that and uh, there are never listings online on trans world servers or any of the third-party sites that say exactly the name of the business that's for sale so yeah good question we definitely avoid that that's really good to know awesome so i have one last question for you because we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and wrap this up um 
if you weren't working for Trans World and you weren't a business advisor broker, would you? What else would you be doing right now? Like, what 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 career would you hold, or would you hold one at all? Would you just be in retirement? Um, I would probably be working to develop a uh, a chain of coffee shops. Okay. So, in fact, that's when I decided to go back to work. There were two things I was looking at. One was developing a coffee franchise, and the other one was Transworld. Um, Transworld just fit better with how I, I can work yeah. ten hours a week. I can work sixty hours a week. I can take a week off. I'm answer to myself. It just fit my lifestyle better. Running a coffee shop and trying to build a chain seemed like an awful lot of sixty-hour weeks and <laughs> yeah. working yeah. with high school kids and. A lot of patience. I am sick today and angry customers and 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 I wouldn't have bought into a franchise. I would have probably developed my own concept. So it's going to be policies and procedures and recipes and branding and the whole nine yards. So I think I had a good setup going for the branding. I still like my idea a lot, but anyhow, that's if it wasn't for Transworld, <laughs> that's what I would be doing. Yeah. So so that kind of spun off just you know from that is. Coffee shop, is that because in the line of work that you do now, you feel like the coffee business is a great business to get into, or because like you're passionate about coffee? <laughs> well, it's both. So it's both. <laughs> I, I quit drinking a little over 10 years ago, and coffee picked up a lot of that okay. for me. Okay. So there's that. Um, it's a great business. Um, if you can drive traffic, you can make a tremendous amount of money selling coffee. Yeah, um, that's true. My theory was that... Um, a lot of coffee chains politics have become very public and it doesn't always dovetail with the politics of let's say East Texas right and my branding was all about it wasn't to get political but the branding was gonna be we're your neighbors you're spending this money and staying in your community and we probably do things like you do we probably hunt what you do we probably see things politically the way you do and so the coffee shop that's not on the hipster spectrum, <laughs> like like typically like you know what I think most people associate with coffee shops is you know they kind of associate that type of you know hipster atmosphere, but you were kind of wanting to create like a hometown community coffee shop feel that was more like I guess ideal to like Longview. Oh yeah, it was, it was Texas, Texas branding. Yeah, there's yeah. no copyright on on state flags or national flags, so you yeah. can use that all you want. The tagline was going to be. Uh, faith, family, freedom, coffee. That was the tagline and all the stuff we were going for. So yeah, I think it, uh, I think it had legs. I think it had possibility, but it was going to be an awful lot of work. And yeah. So I opted to go with to have the option with Transworld instead. Yeah. yeah. And, and help other people. Right. Live their dreams. Save my sanity. As well, <laughs> <so>. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we really appreciate you coming in and talking to us and telling us a lot. I know I learned a lot. I feel like I knew a lot about your business already just from knowing you outside and, you know, B&I and other networks and stuff like that. Um, but I did. I actually learned a lot, so that was really great. I think Abel and Natalie learned a lot, too. Definitely, um, yeah. Was there anything else that you want the listeners to know or any other information that you feel like you want to highlight on before we close off this uh, episode? Uh, just that if anybody wants to buy or sell a business, give me a call. And I'm always happy to sit down and talk with anybody. Uh, there's a lot of questions. I've got a lot of answers. As we talked about earlier, it's always confidential. So um, everything's always on the down low. 
I deal in confidentiality and keeping my mouth shut until it's <laughs> time to open it. And um, anyhow, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions and sit down with anybody on either and side. And these consultations so. that you have, they're free of charge or they have yeah, cost? They're, they're, they're All free, free of charge. Okay. I'll come to you. We can meet at your business. We can meet. For coffee shop? We can meet off site. I usually like to meet at mom and pop coffee shops. They're a little quieter. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, true. we'll we'll figure out a way to meet and you know meet your goals, whether it's you know to meet uh, at the shop, not at the shop, whatever. I can make it work. So give me a call and um, I can answer any questions. And awesome. Thank time. you so much for coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. So we'll definitely post all your links um, in the comment section of our podcast, and we really appreciate you coming in. I appreciate you guys having me. This has been fun, and uh, it's always good to to get out and talk about all this stuff and meet you guys as well. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate Jeff. it. All right.